Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is episode 46 of Fried Squirms, where we sit here and we get really stoned and talk to you about horror movies. And boy, do we. And, dude, like, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but we're kind of doing this in the air quotes news studio. Which is really awesome right now. Compared to how we had it set up before, which, I mean, included like a shock mount taped to (laughs) a leopard print cane. Which is pretty awesome. I liked it. But now we actually have like stands and shit. Like we're a year in. I decided that we probably deserve to be like. We got a big boy pants on right now. God, it feels good, doesn't it? It does. Looks really good. Looks professional. Not that I'm discounting our old ways, but this smells really good. We don't have our grubby fucking hands over everything right now. I know. Like I'm just leaning. We're both fidgeters talking to you, and not having to hold on to my fucking mic. It's pretty awesome, right? Oh man. Ah, Plus, it feels good. Just can rub my knees. Yeah. Oh man, I'm just rubbing all over the place. <laughs> it's pretty awesome, but yeah, dude, we've got a really cool episode today as well. Yeah, I think before we get into it too much, so because of the cleanup that this required, I have very broad notes on this movie. I only got in one watching rather than my normal two. Man, no worries. However, before I started in on all of this, while I was deciding what to do, I was perusing the internet. I mean, in the past, we've covered a little bit of, like, horror news here and there, but we've never really made it a big thing. I might start trying to bring a little bit more horror news to the show, yeah, just I'm to okay sort with of that. keep people caught up, but it's going to be more things that I find interesting. But there was a couple <laughs> things I ran into here that I feel are very much worth bringing up, that I wasn't even searching for anything in particular. It was just, like, stumbled upon the fucking horror section of website that I check periodically anyway, and I was like, oh, shit, I forgot that this even existed, and I was like... Oh, look, here's a couple of news items that... Hey, well, I mean, if they're relevant, why not? So, CableTV.com compiled uh, an infographic based on some of the statistics that they took. I mean, it's been really popular lately to see, like, the most searched by things by state. Yeah, I mean, it gives you a, an idea of what everybody likes. I've seen all sorts of those things going around, and if you've ever took a statistics class of any kind, like, you can fuck with all that shit really easy. Oh, sort yeah, of no doubt. Make different things pop up if you want them to. However, it was still kind of neat to see these sort of things broke down. I really like infographics, and so I actually have a most searched for horror movie by state. Kind of interesting. Some definitely turn up a lot more than others. I'll let you take a guess. There's three movies that pop up more than any other. Okay. Considering that you and I originally come from different states, although we're united here in Montana now, I'll go out on a limb and start with South Carolina first and start thinking about... Well, uh, okay, let's go, yeah. let's do you go big go picture first. Oh, okay, big picture first? Let's okay. go big picture first. There's three movies that across the board, across all 50 states, are searched for more often than any other movies. Gotcha. Right. What do you think they are? The top three most searched for. I would go out on a limb and say Halloween would be on the list. No. No? Wow. Second on the list, I would probably go with... Let's go with Friday the 13th. Uh, No. Wow. Okay, so I'm striking out here. I I wouldn't have guessed any of these, to be completely honest. Wow. So, uh, I'll give you a hint. You've recently done something involving one of these. Wow, no kidding. So... uh, with that being said, Suspiria? Suspiria is on the list. Gosh, I would have never guessed that. I would have never guessed Suspiria. Not, not out of the gates. 
by the way, go check out our website, www.friedsquirms.com, because Danny wrote up a little blurb on his... Well, I guess it's longer than a blurb. I read through yeah, it. But on his viewing experience of the 4K restoration of Suspiria. While I was editing this week, I did listen to myself say I need to put it up. And I was thinking, I need to do that shit before we drop this episode. <laughs> so it spurred me on a little bit over the weekend. I had some more time to think about what I wanted to say and finally just finalize and say, fuck it. Cool. But I had a good time, man. It yeah, was, it was I a mean, lot of fun. And I enjoyed reading it. I'll admit that I was actually already taking a shit when I noticed you threw <laughs> it up. And I was like, well, that's perfect. It gives me something to read. Yeah. And so I didn't choose to read you while taking a shit, like to take a shit too. <laughs> but while I was already there. Yeah, you were like, hey, it's already up. I'm here. And it, it was a good length for taking a shit, so... Awesome. Just, I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, people need things to read while they're taking a shit. Hey, I'm, Would you I'm be just offended? guilty. No. As long yeah. as I'm getting a read, I'm okay. Yeah. You can be jerking it. I don't care. So, friedsquirms.com. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> okay, so that's one of them. Okay, um, Suspiria. Let's think. All right, number two. I'm going to go and say The Conjuring. No. Okay, then I'm out. Yeah. So the other two that occur more than any other, The Ring. Okay, I can see that a little bit. And Silence of the Lambs. Wow. Now, however, there are some states where it sort of corresponds with what the state is. Like Night of the Living Dead for... Pennsylvania. Okay, that would make sense. And The Shining for Colorado. Would make total sense. The amount Suspiria rises across the board is kind of out there, but none of them are really what is, too out there. What does my home state of South Carolina have as their top? The ring. And North Carolina. <laughs> I don't understand that too much. Here in Montana, it's Dawn of the Dead. That's pretty awesome. Nodak, too, Dawn of the Dead. That's a good one. But yeah, I think the weirdest one, I think, is probably Virginia with an American werewolf in London being their top search. I don't, I don't, I don't really I don't get, get that, that too much. And... Oh, God, somebody actually has Cabin in the Woods. Is it Vermont or is it New Hampshire? It's, you know, those two up there. Yeah, they're, <laughs> I know you mean. Shit. But regardless, that's, that's an interesting one, too. I can see that with the cabin, of course, but still, that's... Mm, I would have for sure have guessed something with Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees, you know, Freddy Krueger, etc. So, another thing that I ran into... This one, maybe not as exciting, but I thought it was kind of neat because I've been binging out on a lot of comic book stuff lately. And then we covered Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. We sure did. And then I finally got around to watching Guardians of the Galaxy 2, directed by James Gunn, who also did Slither. Oh, nice. As horror audiences might remember. And I think he's also done work with, like, Troma and stuff, to be honest. That's a pretty interesting production company for sure, but they make some great films. But he released his massive list of his top 50 I think, yeah, 50 favorite horror movies. I like when lists are that long sometimes. It gives you a broad sense. Yeah, huge. I mean, I don't know if I could put my top 50 in order. Mm, not in order. I could give you 50, but maybe not in order. I mean, that alone is kind of amazing to me, to be honest. I mean, people try to ask me my, like, my top three horror movies and I have a hard fucking time. Like, <laughs> Yeah, considering. I know what you mean. I mean, maybe he did 50 because he didn't want to leave any off the list, but... <laughs> maybe that's probably a very 10, good reason but... he's like oh shit i got a lot more on the mind still i mean then he also ranked them though well uh, and there's there's some good ones man there's some, there's that, some that, we've that yeah i was gonna ask that there's some that we covered number one i do hope that we cover at some point i'm sure we will because it's 
kind of important as far as Hollywood's concerned. Jaws. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. We'll eventually get there. Number two was surprising, though. When you lead with Jaws, what do you think number two is going to be? Shit. I've already struck out a bunch of times already. (laughs) Now, this is a surprising one. Super surprising. Dude, I have no idea. Honestly, I have no idea. Audition. Yeah? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. We've covered some UK. And then to round out his top three would be the 78 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay, that's But there's, awesome. I mean, across this whole list, there's some neat things. Like, let's see. You have to go down to number six to get to one that we covered. Okay. Green Room. Nice, yeah. I know that you just recently watched House, didn't you? It hasn't been that long ago, but yes, I have watched that. Yeah, that's number 13 for him. That, I would recommend that if you want to see a very bizarre 1970s Japanese horror. Uh, directly under that's the first Saw, which we just covered. Nice. Uh, well, not just covered, but it certainly feels like it. We got Kronos. Nice. At 19. Dead Alive at 24. One of my favorite movies, Troll Hunter at 27, which we haven't got to yet, but we've talked about getting there. Evil Dead 2 at 28. Shaun of the Dead at 25. I just want to throw awesome. out there. Yeah, there's just some fun stuff in here, though. Nice. Suspiria at 38. Uh, number 50. The Faculty. Yeah, I like that Rodriguez. a lot. Some teen horror. Sort of, and obviously I didn't name a lot of movies in between there, but, but that that's sort okay. of gives you an idea across the board of some of the ones that even we've touched down out of his top 50. So That's really cool. It gives you a, an idea of some of their influences, some films they might enjoy, just as much as we like them. But now here's the big thing, especially because it's both huge news and... To be taken with a little bit of a fucking, like, eh, considering which director in the franchise this news comes from. Okay. But the director for Jason Goes to Hell. Okay. Which would be what number? I want to say, like, the eighth or ninth, maybe? And it's around eight or nine where he goes to hell. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jason Goes to Hell director, you know, probably number nine, we're going to say. I can't remember off the top of my head because... There's Jesus a shit ton of them. Christ, there's a lot of them. And by that point, they're not great. No, what? I think it might be the ninth one. Seven, he returns somehow. Eight, he goes to Manhattan. Yeah, well, I think it was the ninth one. I know it's not Jason X, obviously. No, <laughs> no not quite. <laughs> he's not in space, he's in hell. Right. So I think, yeah, he went to hell bef- right before he went to space. Didn't yeah, he? I think it is the ninth one. Okay, so yeah, we'll call it not Jason 9. <laughs> that director, Adam Marcus, has said Jason is a deadite. Damn, that's big news. He said he collaborated with the Evil Dead creator to confirm that Voorhees was officially a deadite. Wow. So you're going to have some crossover with Ash? Let's see. He was speaking to Horror Geek Life and brought up that she, Pamela Voorhees, makes a deal with the devil by reading from the Necronomicon to bring back her son. This is why Jason isn't Jason. He's Jason plus the Evil Dead. And I can believe that he can go from a little boy that lives in a lake to a full-grown man in a couple months, to zombie Jason, to never being able to kill this guy. That, to me, is way more interesting as a mashup, and Sam Raimi loved it. He then clarified a little bit later on, it's not like I could tell New Line Cinema my plan to include the Evil Dead because they don't know the Evil Dead. So it had to be an Easter egg, and I did focus on it. There's a whole scene that includes the book, and I hoped people would get it and figure out that that's what I'm up to. So yes, in my opinion, Jason Voorhees is a deadite. He's one of the Evil Dead. That is fucking awesome. I thought that would be a good one to fucking... Yeah. To, to sort of bring up now, like I said, ninth in the series. Yeah, you have to take that shit with a grain of salt, but... 
That's still really cool, though, that idea. And if I'm not mistaken, I know they've done some comics with those crossover ideas with The Evil Dead and Jason Voorhees and maybe even Freddy Krueger, too, I believe. Right, and that's the thing. I've never read any of the comics, first off, and maybe I should. But I also don't know the state of the comics and what they're considered canon or not to how many of the fans and all that good shit, so... Might be something to look into because I do like the weird fucking stupid mashups. The weird stupid lore of all these characters and just the idea of them interacting and shit. But why not? It's a big broad universe. Well, kind of stupid lore, I guess, for like Freddy and Jason. But at this point, Ash's lore is pretty well, especially with the fucking TV shows. Oh yeah, which is returning pretty soon. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to the third season. It's the other two that end up, like we said, going to hell and then going to space. So That's a big jump. <laughs> a big uh, leap. But that's really cool. By the way, cool. we are going to cover Jason X at some point. Oh, yeah. We've talked Fucking about that. I love that movie. God damn you. How did this get made for getting to it first? That's okay. It gives us a chance to get in there right behind him. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But that's all the extra I have to bring this week. But I thought it was a fun little... No, the only thing I'll have to add to that is the fact that I've caught myself up with Stranger Things Season 2, which was an enjoyable view. I don't want to get too in-depth about it, but I wound up binge-watching that this week, being that Halloween fell on. So it gave me a chance to catch up Mm -hmm. on some shows. I mean, I rewatched Devil's Rejects kind of as part of Halloween and everything. I didn't watch as much on Halloween as I was really planning on. I didn't either. Like I said, I mostly binge-watched Stranger Things, and I think I might even snuck in a little bit of Halloween, the original. But I did make sure to get Devil's Rejects in. God damn, I love that movie. So and it's, good. It's really kind. It's kind of disturbing how well I can just play it as like a background movie and just like cut in, fucking do a couple of the lines along with the movie and go back to what the fuck I was doing. Like that movie's kind of heavy for just like being on in the background. But I've watched that goddamn movie so many times. It's just like, oh no, it's fucking. Eh. Well, considering what we like, it's you know, it's bound to happen. Yeah, it's, yeah, good point. It was just something that sort of struck me, like, oh, shit, like, I'm just sitting there, like, making dinner, like, fucking flipping bacon and shit, and just like, oh, cut in, fucking, next words out of your mouth better be some brilliant fucking Mark Twain shit, like. Going on your tombstone. Yeah, that shit is awesome, man. I can't blame you. If it's on, I'll definitely sit back and watch it, or even if it's background noise. Mm -hmm. But I guess since we're this far into it, maybe we should mention what we're delving into this week. I think we mentioned it once or twice, didn't we? I don't think so, honestly. Oh, God, I'm pretty sure. uh, Well, if we didn't, we're talking about fucking Frailty this week. Yeah, this week we are covering Frailty 2001. But I'm excited for a lot of different reasons, which, you know, we'll definitely delve into here soon. But that pretty much catches me up to speed. Yeah, so Frailty... Guts and Bolts, start now. Now. Guts and Bolts. All right. So, Frailty, Guts and Bolts. I'm going to remember to start with synopsis. <laughs> yes, I think that's a good way to start this one, right? Right. Frailty tells the story of one dad going psycho and teaching his boys to destroy demons disguised as people. And the uncovering of that's all happening in the past and part of the story is uncovering it in the present but it's not really uncovering it so much as just being told yeah it's an interesting tell of what some people call southern gothic horror because it's set in texas Mm -hmm. but yeah it deals with a man recollecting stories of his family's descent into a weird religious psychosis yeah a vision of sorts yeah involving bill paxton matthew mcconaughey 
Powers, Powers Booth. Booth. Yeah. And Demons. <laughs> yeah, which is, I think, an all-Texas cast. Not all, but a majority of it is Texas cast. But, yeah, I think that's a good synopsis. Yeah, that's a good synopsis. We've mentioned Bill Paxton. Yeah, he's our director, of course, <sighs> now, for this film. sadly passed. I do believe yes. we mentioned that on the episode when it recently happened. And it still sucks. Great actor. Great director for his debut film. Love this film. Well, and I feel like we say this about a lot of the movies that we cover, but this is another movie that we've been talking about covering since before he passed. I mean, yeah, much previously before that happened. So that was kind of a bummer that we didn't get to it. But it was always on deck, so we didn't feel like we needed to get to it right away, because it was always something that was right. planned anyway. It was... Yeah, and we don't always want to have an episode based around a death. I think that's already morbid as it is. Mm-hmm. However, oh my god, Paxton is fantastic in... Like everything. I love Bill Paxton. I really do. And that's not just saying that because we're doing this film. But when I think of Bill Paxton, there's a lot of films that come to mind. So because of when my age relative to you, this movie would have came out when I was... Not this movie, that frailty. Right. But the movie that I would have first remembered Bill Paxton from came out when I was nine. So that makes sense. Twister. Yeah, I actually went and seen that in the theater with some friends. So yeah. That's actually not a bad film. I'll go back a little bit further than that, because I am a product of the 80s. I know I've mentioned that before, but one of those films I still love today is Weird Science. Now, I was going to say, I love Weird Science. I saw it when I was young, just not when I was nine. I probably didn't see it till I was like 11. So oh, I've seen it, yeah. Like I said, there's, there's a little bit of difference. It was on cable, and I was fortunate enough to have watched it back then, but there was a few other films. He's noted for being a victim in a lot of films, most notably... In the film Aliens, which he's a part of? Well, I was going to say, like, Aliens. The also Terminator. Also, when I seen when I was young. Maybe not when I was nine. Eh, I might have seen Aliens before I was nine, I guess. But it, it, he wouldn't have been what stuck out in my head. The aliens themselves were what stuck out in my head back then. You know yeah, what I mean? My, uh, when I'm that young. My older brother loves that film, Aliens. So I remember watching that with him and, you know, some of my family God, members. I'm looking through his fucking filmography right now. He's and I'm like, I love so many man. of these fucking movies. And... He's so good in them, and I don't even really think of him. That's like the big part of the film, but he's in those films. Because this isn't going to be the first time I throw around this fucking word today, but kind of in a way, kind of an amazing character actor. He is. He really is. I mean, he can do the lead in a movie, but he's not really a leading man. He's not that handsome. No, and I think the way he portrays characters, too, it's he's more in-depth, I think, with some of his stuff. Yeah. I mean, character actor is kind of a flexible term, and he's one of those character actors that could swing across the board from all sorts of different characters. He could throw on a really moody, somber tone. He could throw out a really eccentric character in some other movie. Oh, yes, he He can. was able to put himself into these different roles in such a way, but he was always more of a supporting guy. Right. I think that's a good way to kind of, you know, surmise some of the films he's been in. As we touched on my little bit more geeky ways already once in this podcast, he was the fucking best part of the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is not that good of a season. The series gets better from then on. I'm not all the way caught up. But the first season, the first three quarters of it, until Winter Soldier happened in the movies okay. and fucking Hydra and all that shit, yeah. the show was kind of shit. <laughs> once all that happened and he came in... Well, he came in a little bit before that, but, like, his main huge character arc came in. Fucking astounding. He just chewed up all the scenery and just shat it out and rechewed it 
in the best way possible. Like, I, I wasn't even mad that he was eating shit in front of me because he was <laughs> chewing it that well. Yeah, man. There's a couple more films I want to mention. Because we've mentioned one of these before, and I mentioned that while we were doing our round of vampire films, I had briefly thought about doing Near Dark, which he, you mentioned, eccentric characters. He plays a very eccentric role in that film. It's a great film. I think people probably know him for the film Tombstone, which he was heavily involved with. The movie True Lies, which is something else I'm familiar with. Apollo 13, he was in Predator 2. There's one other neat thing that I want to point out. This is his film directorial debut. It certainly is. But he had directed some things before that. One of the things being the Barnes & Barnes video for Fish Heads. Fish Heads, Fish Heads, lovely, lovely fish. Barnes & Barnes novelty group. One of the members being Bill Mummy who, he was a a child actor back in the day, appeared on, like, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and shit, Twilight Zone episodes, and was reportedly the first choice to play Eddie Munster. Oh, wow. Before it went to Butch Patrick. He's done a lot of other stuff, too, but the Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock Presents, as well as almost a tie to the Munsters, definitely sort of puts him in the horror realm as well. Just sort of just a weird tie back around. It's really cool. I had no idea. A couple, few other credits I'll give Bill Paxson in terms of his film credits is he does a little bit of work in Titanic, which is, you know, is a major film from James Cameron. And a film by a group of guys I really enjoy. We'd mentioned Super Troopers before, but Bill Paxson was in Club Dread. And if you want to see him play a Rastafarian style club owner <laughs> go check that film out it's really funny i fucked up the lyrics to fish heads too it's roly poly fish heads i don't remember what i said but anyway it's all good, <laughs> it's all good. fish heads nonetheless yeah so moving on from bill paxson you know being our director our writer for this film is brett hanley who is another texas native he's from dallas texas specifically and he mentioned you know the reason for this film having a heavy religious overtone is the fact that he called that part of Texas the buckle of the Bible Belt. So it makes sense. But he's got some interesting credits. One I do want to give him specifically because we have covered some Masters of Horror with imprint from Takashi Miike, which you mentioned before with Audition. But he wrote an episode for Masters of Horror, and the credit is Family. And that one is actually one of my top episodes for Masters of Horror. It's a brilliant just a fucked up story. I think it has George Went from Cheers in it. Mm. Really good, man. I'd highly recommend that one. He also did some work for Days 73 with Sarah, which I think is a, like a TV series. Moving on from him, Bill Butler is our cinematographer for this, and I want to pause for a second because this guy needs some credit for this role and for others, which you just mentioned for Jaws. He's a cinematographer on Jaws. Oh. Uh, he's also the cinematographer on the film Grease. I love Grease, dude. The Return of Count Yorga, which is an old horror film. He's also the cinematographer for Damien, The Omen Part (laughs) 2, Rocky Part 2, 3, and 4. Oh, shit. The movie Stripes with Bill Murray. Oh, shit. Child's Play, which we have covered already. Okay. Hot Shots, and another film that you mentioned because of J-Lo, Anaconda. 
God. Yeah, so Bill Butler just got waterfall some... Waterfall and all? Yeah, all of that. He's all responsible for that. So he's got a heavy hand in, in Hollywood with some horror films and some comedies and some others mixed in. He's our DP for this film. Our editor, another interesting gentleman, is Arnold Glassman. He did some really cool stuff, mostly documentaries. You had mentioned Hitchcock. He did a documentary as far as editing for Hitchcock, Shadow of a Genius. And one I did want to make mention of, it's called Visions of Light, The Art of Cinematography. So it gives like a long history of cinematographers and a lot of their styles and some of the techniques they use. So if people are wanting to know a little bit more about filmmaking, some of these things that he's done are really interesting. And one more I'll mention really quick is uh, it's called The Celluloid Closet, which is a history of gay and lesbian actors and actresses and I think directors and you name it just as well it's in a history of uh, Hollywood so it's kind of yeah, an interesting that cool. he does these documentaries our music this is what I was mentioning to you earlier this is a really cool credit this gentleman is Brian Tyler all right and I mentioned him because he's got a laundry list of fucking films that he's composed music for some of them have been Bubba Hotep oh, which shit. is really dope yeah I went back a little bit because some of his more recent ones he's probably given heavier credit for. But I was like, hold on, he's got a laundry list. I need to see some of his early credits, right? So he's also done work for John Carpenter on Vampires, Los Muertos. <laughs> he's responsible for that. Uh, you mean they didn't just get John Bon Jovi to do it all since he was there? He's wanted, dead or alive. Shit. Goddamn. I already told you about Bon Jovi. Fucking Bon what about- Jovi undead or alive (laughs) (laughs) Tyler has also done work for the film Constantine he's composed the music for that he composed the music on 2008's Rambo The Expendables Uh, now I don't remember the music in Rambo but I love that movie talk about bloody movie jesus christ dude getting ripped apart by 50 caliber is nuts no joke yo (laughs) he's done work on the expendables john dies at the end which is a film i highly recommend iron man 3 thor dark world avengers age of ultron he's done most of the fast and furious films from tokyo drift all the way up to some of the more recent ones that have come out but he's also the grandson of Walter H. Tyler, which is somebody I wanted to mention really quick. This guy was an art director for some heavy films way back in the day. Films like Shane and C.C. DeMille's Ten Commandments. Oh, uh, by the way, people out there, if you liked Logan, go watch Shane. Go watch Shane. Yeah, that's pretty old Western. Sabrina and Roman Holiday. So he's, uh, you know, grandson of some heavy hitters in old Hollywood. So I thought that was kind of an interesting credit. I had to dig a little bit for that. So moving on from our music, our special effects team, our Cantina Pictures and Digital Dimension, they were responsible for the visual effects in this film. General Lift did work for the motion control photography. And no, I'm yeah. not, not, to, not to get down on these guys, but I almost just said, what visual effects in this film? Then I did remember there is one visual effects yeah, in this sequence. Yeah, there's a pretty but... dope one. And Celluloid Heroes did our main title sequence at the beginning of the film. This movie was produced by David Kirshner, who was... Oh, the Kirsch. Yeah, the Kirsch. He, when I was listening to some of the making of for this film, Bill Paxton was throwing the idea, you know, for what this film should be, and he wanted somebody who, you know, inhabit this character and know how to portray the dad I'm speaking of. And so when he was pitching that idea to Kirshner, he's like, "Ah, I want to direct this film. And Kirshner, he said that, he was like shaking his head, but inside of his mind, he's like, oh, no. 
But he said that while they were filming, like he saw the vision that Bill Paxton had, and he let him be very liberal with some of his ideas and some of the stuff that got put into the film. Nice. Now, I said, oh, the Kirsch, so familiarly, because if you go all the way back to our slasher run, you might recall that David Kirshner helped create fucking Chucky. Nice. So uh, it's no mistake that we see another Child's Play credit in this, right? Yeah, he is the creator of the Chucky animatronic doll. That's fucking and awesome. And has been the producer of all seven films in the franchise. Awesome, man. See, these credits keep getting better, dude. Just want to point that out. Like, yeah. That's why I was like, oh, the Kirsch. Oh, we've been on the Kirsch. Yeah, we've got a Kirsch on Kirshner. <laughs> David Blocker and Kerry Senega, they're also producers on this film. Our production companies, once again, are David Kirshner Productions, American Entertainment Company. They were in association with Cenerenta. I'm not even going to pronounce the German name because I want to blunder that. But or Cenerenta and Cenadelta helped, I think, finance this film. Ooh, there was one other credit I forgot to mention no, on the no Kirshner. Problem. Just because I see so many... Now, I like this movie. I went and saw this movie in the theaters when I was a young child. Really dug it. However, I see a lot of people these days go super fucking nutty for this movie. And I don't get the extreme amount of love, to be honest. Okay. Uh, uh, Kirsch also produced Hocus Pocus. Okay, I'll say this about Hocus Pocus. If you like PG movies, yeah, it's, it's fucking good. But... If you like what you and I like, it's like, mm, this is movies for my nephews, for reals. But I mean, I'll watch it. I mean, that was for real probably one of the first movies I went and saw in the theaters by myself. Just like based on when it came out and shit. Like, I know that I went and saw it in the theaters. I remember, I like it. I like the movie a lot. Yeah, it's good. I don't get how gaga people go for it these days. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's one of those nostalgic things, which I I can completely understand. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug, but. Of course it is. This, I mean, this is probably no exception to the rule either. I think it was one of those films. I was a little bit older when it came out, so I wasn't as affected by it. Oh, and the American Tale series. That's interesting. That's really cool. Which, I mean, you can probably forget about the last like couple that they did that went straight to video, but those first two are dope. <laughs> it happens. I love Five Will Goes West, but that first one, too, so touching. Yeah, man, those things will pull at your heartstrings, bro. Right. <laughs> All right, our distributors for this, Lionsgate Films, they helped with the 2002 USA theatrical release and the 2002 DVD and VHS release as well. The budget for this film was a moderate $11 million, and our gross as of June 9th, 2002, was a little over $13 million, $13.1 million. And opening weekend, it made $4.2 million as of April 14th of 2002. The release date officially was November 17th, a day before my birthday, on 2001, at the Deep Elam Film Festival, and it made its theatrical debut April 12th, 2002, here in the States. You know, I like my taglines. There's a few. There's two of them I use. The first one is Only the Innocent Survive, and the second one is No Soul is Safe which I think they use that one on the poster. I like that one better than the first one. Yeah. No Soul is Safe, yeah, I dig that. Okay. Think cool. about the first one, and I'll mention that one a little bit later okay. once we get into the squealy. Speaking of which, uh, what, what else do we have to mention here before we get into the squeal? I'm trying to think if there's anything we've missed. Uh-huh. No, we mentioned a couple of the actors. We, just, we can breeze through them oh, without mentioning yeah. a lot of their credits. Well, I mean, Powers Booth, I mean, we mentioned them already, but you already mentioned Tombstone. Yeah. And once again, Powers Booth, big time tombstone, 
go watch Tombstone. That Great movie is movie. fucking dope, dude. Just a few films. He plays FBI agent Wesley Doyle. Doyle being my last name, huh? Anywho, one film I recommend if you want a kind of a greasy film to watch with Al Pacino playing a really fucking interesting role. It's a film called Cruising. Oh. Yeah, boy. Yeah, that movie. So <laughs> great. It's not what uh, you would think it is. That movie. It influences some things. God, what, what was, was influenced? Actually, you know what? I, I don't want me to cut you off. That movie is actually inspired by a guy who was an extra on the film The Exorcist, right? He was like one of the hospital orderlies. That guy was actually a serial killer. Oh, shit. And while they were, I think, in production for cruising, I can't remember who exactly. I don't know if it was a writer, director, Pacino, whomever. They interviewed that gentleman, and they kind of got some of the ideas of what he did because I think he was murdering homosexual men. He was going after them. So not to give too much away about cruising, some of those characters are based on that. Some of those events were based off of that guy's killings. Well, and here's the other thing. Because the time period was being set in, cruising, there was protesters that tried to shut down the set because they were making a gay movie. And so, interesting little thing, cruising was shooting around the same area and at the same time that they were shooting another movie (laughs) called Can't Stop the Music, (laughs) which is a musical comedy that is pretty much the Village People biopic. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can um, see the picture from here. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. And Jeez. the protesters <laughs> would sometimes screw up the set and accidentally shut down the Can't Stop the Music sh- set <laughs> rather than the cruising sh- set. Whoops. <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. I never thought we'd get this in-depth about that, but it just shows you the brilliance behind some of this. Can't Stop the Music, if I remember right, also is a PG movie that has full frontal male nudity. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) Dongs were PG back then. Yeah. (laughs) That's fucking funny. All right, we're still talking about Powers Booth here, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's amazing. Some of our audience might have seen him in the movie Red Dawn, the film Nixon, Men of Honor... He was actually in Justice League. He did some voice acting. I can't remember the exact character. I should have written it down. I mean, he was also in the film Sin City. I was about which, to say, I mean, come on. Senator Rourke in Sin City. Yeah, he's done work on the shows Deadwood, 24. He was in the film <laughs> McGruber. And he unfortunately passed this year, too. Yes, he did. Well, yeah. It was just a few months, I think, was it after Bill Paxton? Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn. But he also did some work on The Avengers as well, I think right before his passing. We did mention Bill Paxson as the dad in this film. We've already mentioned some of his credits. Uh, we're going to go to our reconnaissance. <laughs> so th- that was the other reason I wanted to bring up character <laughs> actors is because this is another movie yeah. that showcases how well Matthew McConaughey does when he's in a supporting role man, he's so rather bad. than you throwing him as like the leading man in a fucking rom-com. <laughs> yeah. You Those know, movies aren't good. No, they fucking blow. Whenever they try to use him as your standard, like, Tom Cruise leading man, not that good. No, I agree you with give that. Give him the chance to be a character actor, just get into the fucking meat of a fucking character and be He's develop all their eccentricities yeah. and all these weird little things about him. Then you get, like, true detective. Oh, God, that... 
that is a home run first season. Second season, you know, it's watchable. First season, fucking, it's one of the best seasons of any shows I've watched in recent history. But then you so get, then. I mean, really, I mean, even if you go back to fucking classic McConaughey, he wasn't being a fucking leading man in Dazed and Confused. Dude, that's the first thing I remember him from. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> it's like, be a lot cooler if you did, man. All those, you know, those one-liners, everybody remembers him from that. Some of the things I remember him from, he was actually in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, with Renee Zellweger. I'm not a huge fan of hers, but she was in some pretty cool shit back in the day. He was in a film with, speaking of Silence of the Lambs, with Jodie Foster in the film Contact. I think he was starting to get some note for uh, doing some work on Amistad and then the film Ed TV, a movie I went and seen in the theater is We Are Marshall, his work on Tropic Thunder, which you were talking about, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Just hilarious. Well, uh, he was in a movie that I actually really dig. Magic it's, Mike? It's, no. It's, you know how there's a lot of movies people never want to see rebooted, and right. others like, oh, I wish they would have just done it better, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Here's a movie I want them to reboot with the same exact cast. This is 15 years later, and I think this would still work. Do it with the same exact cast, with just a little bit better artistic vision, maybe be a director. I don't know. Something was missing from the movie, and it shouldn't have been. Reign of Fire. Yeah? Did you ever watch Reign of Fire? It's been a hot minute. No fun intended, but I've seen that. Matthew McConaughey fighting fucking dragons. Yeah, dude. That would be fucking With a cast that also includes Christian Bale and fucking Gerard Butler. Goddamn Batman. I remember that And fucking Leonidas. It's really good. Yeah. Who gets off kind of like a little bitch, and if I remember right. It happens, man. But no, I I did. I want to say that might have been one I've seen in the film. It just has been a minute since I've seen it. McConaughey is also in a film. My brother, when I was telling him that we were doing Frailty, and you know that Matthew McConaughey's in this, he's like, oh, you talking about old Paperboy? <laughs> and for those who don't know that film, it's kind of a an indie film, but it has John Cusack and Nicole Kidman, and it's just a, an interesting kind of crime drama, but I don't know how far, you know, entrenched we are with Hollywood, but, you know, if Matthew McConaughey ever hears this, <laughs> if you ever want to see Matthew McConaughey get his booty <laughs> mangled, <laughs> you get to see that in Paperboy. I, I thought that was funny that my brother dropped that reference because <laughs> we make jokes of that. But a big hit, home run hitter that he's been in more recently, a film I really enjoy, was Interstellar. Oh, right. Great and, film. I mean, I never watched it, but fucking people said he killed in fucking Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, so. I haven't watched that, but but you're right. I mean, some of his portrayals of certain characters and whatnot, he... He nails it every time. Yeah, just don't make him fucking... Don't put him in rom-coms. That's a big mistake. Don't put him in a fucking rom-com. Put him in dramas. Yeah. Give him his fucking... He's even good in comedies. Make him be his true detective character in every movie. Oh, my gosh. He's (laughs) so good. Him and Woody. Yeah, that's great, dude. But no, I'm glad that he's in this film. This is one of those early films outside of like Days and Confused that I remember him from. We've got two young children actors in this film I do want to mention because they're heavy hitters in this film. The first one I'll mention is Matt O'Leary. He plays the young Fenton in this film. And some of his later works, he worked on the film Brick, which is a really good one. We uh, did a film with Anton Yelchin. We mentioned Green Room. They did some work together on the film Brick. Oh, shit. He was in Brick. Yeah. Brick's a fucking great movie. It's a really good movie, dude. Fucking speaking of Batman, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> it happens, right? He did some work with Antonio Banderas in Spy Kids 2 and 3. <laughs> 
He was in a film with Bruce Willis and Live Free or Die Hard. He was in a more recent horror film, Stung, the film Time Lapse, and that's about as far as I go with Matt O'Leary. But he does a great job as young Fenton in this film. I think he had a small role in that new uh, Lone Ranger with Army Hammer and uh, Yeah, I know he's done some TV Depp. work. I just didn't write them down. But that's a kind of interesting, too, yeah. Yeah, that Gorver. Uh, that was a fun flick, but it wasn't the best. It was fun, though. I'd watch it again. I liked it. Uh, anyway. All right. Our next child actor in this film is the 2003 Peter Pan, Jeremy Sumter. He plays young Adam in this film. That was one thing I told you I remember him from. I can't help that. It's just that time period. Another film, because he's in a film with Justin Long, he did the film The Sasquatch Gang. Really fucking dope. I highly recommend that film. It's a good comedy. Lighthearted. He was also on the show Friday Night Lights. He was in the movie Soul Surfer and Into the Storm. Those are some more of his bigger credits. Levi Cress plays the... All right, I have to make mention of this because I don't want to fuck up names in terms of the characters, right? Because that could be ruining some important stuff for later on. But the older gentleman who plays the older Adam Meeks is Levi Cress. He's the one that's in the home on the typewriter. If I'm not mistaken, I think this gentleman, he did some rom-coms. I didn't really make mention of it, but that's what he's known for, some independent films. Actually, an actor who doesn't get much time has kind of an interesting role towards the end of the film, but Luke Askew plays Sheriff Smalls, and the reason I wrote him down is he was in some really fucking cool films, man, especially some older films. One I love is uh, Cool Hand Luke. He was in that. But he was also an easy rider, because, you know, we've mentioned Dennis Hopper and Jack Nicholson and all these really cool actors in that. He was in a film, Angel Unchained, The Magnificent Seven Ride, Rolling Thunder, Traveler, which I think is a film that he worked with Bill Paxton in. So a lot of these guys have worked in other films together, but he's got some really cool interesting credits. Derek Cheatwood played Agent Griffin Hole. He's an agent of the FBI, kind of interspersed in. Mm-hmm. He was... Actually, a film with Matthew McConaughey and U571. I think it was a submarine movie. Yeah. 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 I think a couple other guys are in that film that are in this film as well. But he also did some work on the show General Hospital, if you're into soap operas, and the film The Postman. So that kind of gives... This is Dirk Cheatwood? Yeah, Dirk Cheatwood. Yeah, yeah. He's also uh, married to Kevin Costner's niece. Oh, no shit. Yeah. (laughs) Damn, that's pretty interesting. His niece, but wait, no, whatever. Whatever. Still. Still pretty cool. Something I can throw in there. Yeah, man. (laughs) Tatanka. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that kind of rounds out our cast. I know we've got some other characters in the film. I don't really give them much credit because they're only in it for, you know, mere seconds at best. But that kind of rounds out our main cast. Yeah. Let me think. Warning. We do have to give warnings, yeah. It's just overall kind of a dark movie that deals with basically becoming a serial killer for religious reasons yeah however there's not really any blood i mean there's a tiny bit of blood and there's but it's not heavy on uh, the war violence but you don't see it it's like camera heavily implied yeah Yeah. it's implied but you never actually see like shit hit no it's just after effects so if you're squeamish with some of the aftermath i suppose but you don't really see it no no it's just you, know, you see, like... Portrayals if, of blood and dismemberment, but you don't really see it, like you said. Yeah, it's... You see an axe swing, but you never see it hit, and you never see what happens after. You might just see, like, some bloody rags. I think the best one is 
you know later on in the film but it's the same thing it's just you know it's the effect of, oh of yeah it. i guess there is one after but even then you'd barely see anything. that's what i'm getting at it's not if you've been keeping up with us at this point oh, jesus yeah i mean that was that was even to the point where it's forgettable honestly like i forgot i know what you're talking yeah. about now that's why i don't want to mention it right now but yeah god yeah even that's i can rig that up in like two minutes like it is a rig too <laughs> like spoiler it's a rig <laughs> But no, it's it's cool. They use a lot of really cool gags and stuff in this. Practical effects. Yeah, honestly, Language. like content-wise, it's dark, but it's yeah. there's nothing you can't see or hear. Like I said, a lot of it is just kind of implied. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not comfortable with, I guess, biblical religious tones, you might be yeah, thrown off the, by this. That's the weirdest thing is that it's just perverted religious tones. Yeah, and it's dark. an interesting study on it. It is dark. Like the more I think about it, the that's why I like. I, th- I think a lot of people kind of wrap it up as a southern gothic mm-hmm. kind of horror tale. That's about it. Let's get to the squealing. I'm ready to squeal, baby. Yeah. Let's do it. Woo! How does that make you squeal? Yeah. How does that make you squeal, Danny? Mm. I'm squealing all over a 46 episode frailty. Yeah. Frailty. Well, not 46th episode. That would be fucking nuts, but yeah. How could you fill 46 episodes of frailty? You'd have to do every section by section as opposed to every scene. See, I like this movie, (laughs) but I don't like it that much. I don't think it would be possible for me. I think I would like try to destroy my own inner demon at that (laughs) point because that would be the only thing that could be driving me. Yeah, that would be an eternal loop of watching this film, but no. Yeah, for 46th episode, man. I'm glad we chose this one. I know we've talked about wanting to do this for a while and... It's kind of a nice way of introducing it right before a good milestone coming up for us. We got 50 coming up. We're both excited for that. Yeah, really excited. A few other people should be excited too. One in particular. You know oh, yeah. You they are. know who you they are. You better be getting ready. I know that you listen. Well, you better thank be getting you. ready, son. <laughs> uh, you can hear me. I know you fucking listen to this. You better be getting ready. Yeah, get ready. <laughs> okay, anyway, frailty. So, this is another one. That, for me, falls into the category of a movie I watched and loved a long time ago, so I really didn't remember that much of it. I was trying to figure it out. It's probably been at least 13 years since I watched this movie. This was a film that I did watch more recurring than Mm -hmm. others, uh, especially given the time period. remember you know, vividly watching it with one of my best friends. We'd watch it several times. I think my sister and I watch it several times. So it's one that I'm very familiar with, even though it's been a few years. Not 13, but it's been a few years since I've watched it. I'm still very familiar with it. See, with 13 years, and I'd say in the two years it was out prior to that last viewing, I probably watched it a maximum of five times. I'm going to think it was probably more around three. But even with that, my memory was a little spotty, I realized. There were some things I definitely remembered, such as I really like this movie. Yeah, this fucking movie's awesome. I love this film. I really do. I always remembered, oh, it's fucking Paxton and McConaughey. I forgot about Powers Booth. I don't think I knew him quite as well as I do now, back when I first saw this film. I could still very vividly remember the first time Paxton kills somebody. Just because of the awkward way that he swung the axe and how it's <laughs> slightly terrifying in its own way. Yeah, just very haunting. But then everything was kind of hazy. Like from my memory, the way it filled in was just that I remember being kind of, I mean, I would have been, I don't know, 15 or so. Okay. I'm older than that, but 
the last time I watched it, I probably would have been between the ages of, yeah, 15 to 17. Okay. So it's been quite a while. And I remember back then, although I remember really liking it, I remember it being... Something was fuzzy about the ending. And I realized what I didn't catch all those years ago this time through. Okay. And it made me not like it as much then, but now I like it even more. Like now, like rewatching it, now that I'm fucking 30 years old and with a critical eye and everything, and I definitely like it more. I like the ending a lot more. They kind of gloss over... I mean, they mentioned it technically like two or three times, but they've just mentioned it really quickly, the fact that this is the fucking squealing. So yeah, for this far in now, yeah. This is what I always missed before, and this is what made me slightly ambivalent about the ending until now. I missed that Fenton was still a killer. For some reason, I thought, when I was younger, I didn't realize that McConaughey was managing to actually act behind the scenes still. Right. While Fenton was actually the God's hand killer, I thought all the murders were because of McConaughey. Gotcha. It's interesting, throughout the week leading up to this recording, a person who will be joining us very soon, we were talking about this film, because we're both very familiar with it, but we were talking about the fact of Matthew McConaughey's character going into this FBI agent's office and telling him this story about the God's hand killer and I remember him telling the story of, you know, how he knows it's his brother and then having those flashbacks as when they're kids and then the whole telling of what's going on and how it leads up to this moment. Now, going back into it with a critical eye and now it just being that many years later and having seen a lot more things and a lot of newer things and some very, very, very shiny things. I mean, I went and watched Thor Ragnarok this weekend. I joined the probably, hopefully, millions of other people that did. <laughs> Hopefully, if I can go watch Thor Ragnarok, not horror, but go watch it. So I just recently got done watching very, very shiny things. Yeah. This movie definitely looks dated now. Parts of it. It definitely feels like that time period it was shot in the early 2000s. I mean, that's when I remember it, so it still has that tie to it. The last half, I'd say, pulls you in enough that you stop noticing it as much. Especially a lot of scenes during the first half of the movie kind of reminded me less of a movie and more of like the way tv was shot around that time period yeah that would make sense i can see that and not necessarily in a bad way like it was still being well done it's just the way everything looked the way it was lit sort of the atmosphere the whole thing something about it felt more like i said like the way tv looked back then yeah it makes sense a little bit more storytelling i think for watching this film during that time period it was one of those that kind of blew me away. And, like, of course, we'll delve into all this for a lot of reasons. But there was a lot of things that I started catching this time, too. And I knew back then, but because we watched things more critically, one thing I noticed was the fact that McConaughey's character, there wasn't a lot of touching. He didn't touch certain people. Oh, I guess I didn't even pay attention to that. Like I said, I unfortunately this week still only got the one Yeah, there's a one lot of viewing. There's a lot of hints throughout on first view you don't really catch second view you might because you know certain things but as i was watching it for our recording i was like uh, i started noticing things and i was kind of like this is really interesting story tells because they're dropping these hints we're not catching it because we're not familiar with the story quite yet let's briefly go over what happens in the story real quick okay. so everything else kind of makes, makes sense, sense yeah what makes we're sense. talking about okay well mcconaughey goes in he's like 
to Powers Booth. He's like, hey, I know who the God's Hand Killer is. I know that you're looking for him. Here's how I know. Here's how I know. And he starts telling you the story of growing up, him and his brother and their dad. Mom died giving birth to the younger brother. So it's just the three boys. Yeah, just the three guys. The dad and two boys. Essentially, I mean, they never really give a reason for it, but it appears that one day dad snaps yeah it's interesting like they have they're just in the the kid's mind told from the view of the older boy fenton who is betrayed by matthew mcconaughey right in the beginning of the film he tells of how his dad goes into this weird descent he had this vision at night came into the boy's room told him that god had visited him had told him some things about judgment day you know there's a power struggle between god and the devil mm-hmm. and there's demons on this planet and they're now in charge or being given the duty of destroying demons not people but demons disguised mm-hmm. as humans so it has this heavy religious tone it has this weird story because one of the boys believes that the younger kid does the older kid has doubts so you kind of have some plays on maybe even some of the apostles like the doubting thomas and etc well shit yeah dad snaps but yeah, you're like, okay, Dad's having this weird religious... He fervor. tells them all the religious stuff. He's supposed to get some weapons. He eventually finds the weapons. Right. The first one he finds is really cool, and how he finds it, too, is really interesting. We'll get back to all the interesting stuff, yeah. but what ends up happening... But you're right, he finds all the tools. Eventually. Is he gets the tools, and he starts killing demons, which killing people, in front of his fucking kids. Right. And it continues on, and the older brother continues to have a bunch of doubts. Yes, and eventually... He gets in trouble for having those doubts because it involves a killing that wasn't a part of the plan, a God's plan specifically, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a part of his punishment, he has to stay in a cellar that he actually dug for his dad. And he eventually sees God, tells his dad, gets out, and they go on another demon slaying, and it turns uneventful for a major party. Right, yeah. Like you said, he was punished and was made to do the cellar. And that was actually a big kind of part of the movie. Oh, but huge, yeah. It, it, I know we're glossing as, over it. But it does continue on, and he supposedly has this epiphany, and come the next demon slaying, he turns the axe on Dad. Right. He turns into little Judas. However, the little brother was told to finish the job yeah. with Dad's dying breath. Which is really interesting. You don't hear it because there's that whisper, but they both acknowledge the demons in the room. Mm-hmm. So he still gets off the demon. The demon, yeah. There was a promise made between the brothers that you know gets told a little mm-hmm. bit further down the road, but there was an acknowledgement that night. Something heavy happened for both of the kids and the father. Changed and things And this forever. entire time, McConaughey has been bringing Powers Booth to the bodies and shit. Right. He tells them of how he knows, and it involves a rose garden, and that's eventually where they're going. That's where the bodies are supposed to be. Powers Booth the entire time has been alluding to the fact that something's off, you find out, oh, what's off is McConaughey isn't the older brother. Oh, man. He's the younger one. Yeah, and it's interesting how all those revelations come to be. There's a lot of illusions in the beginning of the film with McConaughey looking at a picture of uh, Powers Booth's mother. Right? Mm-hmm. And there's times where they have these interactions, and you're wondering, it's like, why the hell does he keep bringing up that dude's mom? And then there's another heavy bomb that gets dropped off at the end. It's like, oh... You so think he I can see that. demons. Yeah. His brother is the God's hand serial killer and not him, which is what I talked about a little bit ago. 
he's been literally doing this behind the scenes just like his dad said he could yeah this entire time which i mean that's such a an interesting tell like he poses as the older brother when he's really the younger brother and there comes a break when they're in that car where he's like when that night happens he's like i don't want to talk about it anymore on the way over to the rose garden there's subtle hints and there's subtle clues I mean, they seem to always get their victims in List of Seven. That's kind of set up earlier on in the yeah, movie. And he's he's the last one in, the, in the, this list on of this seven. On this particular list, yeah. And so it was all a set up. There wasn't enough victims. Oh, turns out he gets away with it again. That whole sequence is the revelation that he's actually been... Yeah, demon slaying. Is, yeah, demon slaying. <laughs> and that it's all those people really did do what his dad said. Yeah. And, so, get, and the ending is him getting away with it. Yeah. So I, that's the basics of the story. That is very, very Now let's bones. get down to the fucking meat and bones of this, because yes. there's some really interesting things in there. Yeah. But it doesn't wanna... really make sense unless you sort of lay it out, because I don't want to pussyfoot around all this, but no, I want to make sure that people know what the fuck we're talking about, too, if they haven't seen this movie and are using this to decide on whether they want to watch it or not. You know, I was trying to sell somebody on the idea of watching this, and they're not too into, I guess, you know horror in a in a sense but it's like look this is more more thriller yes so let's talk about a couple of these things first i didn't actually make too many notes for this movie but one of the big notes that i made was because remember i don't remember a lot of this movie going into it so some of the things still felt new and going into it around the midway point of the movie the brothers are watching davy and goliath yeah i put i put down moral oral But it is Davy and Goliath, yeah. And it was during that scene right there that I was like, oh, so he has to be the younger brother because this whole movie is building towards a twist because even at the halfway point in the movie, there's no actual tension building for any of the characters. Right, right. It makes sense. There's no stakes. You already know who lives and who doesn't. Well, you kind of know who lives and who doesn't at this point because you already know Dad's dead. You already know that one of the brothers dead. is dead. Yeah, one of the you already know that the other brother is alive. Yeah, there's only one of the three left. So there's no real stakes in that whole beginning sequence. It's mm-hmm. all just literally telling you a story. However, it was still kind of frightening because the story was very dark. I pointed it out earlier, this story involves a father chopping people to death in front of his children. Yeah, that's a huge revelation for children. I mean, especially in, involved, like to, I guess, have to come to the realization that this is really happening, regardless of the story behind it, I suppose. is like, this is still a murder in a sense. It is super dark. And it was also frightening how easily that relationship was perverted and how I wrote down that it's chilling the normalcy in the way Paxton is portraying his crazy. Starting with when he's dropping off the kids at the fucking... At the school? At the school. Oh, yeah. And just like, oh, and don't tell anybody what I told you last night. See ya, love ya. The one thing I like about that, leading up to that scene too, is the older kid, Fenton, you know, kind of mm-hmm. is told through his narrative. And he was like, you know, I was wondering in that car drive, going up to the school, whether or not I was just a bad dream or... You know, just something I imagined. And it wasn't until that moment when his dad said that, Bill Paxton said that shit to him, where it sunk in, and then you can see the descent in him in school. Like, well, he's falling asleep in class. He eventually comes out of his sleep screaming because he's envisioning his dad using the axe and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So, yeah, you kind of see that descent. And 
I saw one critic pointed out that they felt like it was a cold delivery. I felt different in some of the way Paxton's lines were delivered when he's trying to talk to him about it. The way he's choosing to do it is it feels more like he doesn't know what else to say. It's almost like trying to explain to someone the sky is blue. It's like, yeah, can't you just look at that? Like, it's blue. It's not green. It's not... Yeah. He's kind of doing the same thing. He's like, this is what we do now. Like... God talked to me. I wouldn't lie to you about yeah, this. Why would I be making this up? Why the fuck would I lie about this? Have I ever been crazy before? Like, Yeah, exactly. But God talked to me. This is what we do now. Like, I don't know how to better explain it to you. Yeah, and if people are not familiar with certain parts of the American culture, is you know, knowing the fact that this is taking place in the eastern side of Texas, specifically, and the southeast is known for being, you know, the Bible Belt and all that good stuff. When somebody has what he's, you know, I won't say suffering from, but is telling not only his children, but, you know, he's like, you got to keep the secret. It's like, it makes you think, it's like, is he having some kind of weird psychosis? He's imagining shit because of the heavy influence of religion in those areas. It's no wonder. And I mean, stuff like that does happen. Maybe not to that extent, but... Shit like this does happen. Well, and it does set him up for absolutely looking like he's crazy because of how laughable the fucking weapons are. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, no. The three weapons. I was thinking, it's like, all right, now two of them are weapons for sure, right? The axe and the pipe. Yeah, okay, the What's pipe a third if you're weapon? in fucking Clue, but... Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, so the axe is obvious. The third one are the gloves. And I'm thinking, what do the gloves have to do anything? Because they're not really choking people at all they're just using them to not i guess expose the demons for what they are that's the weapon to keep their hands from touching the demons hands from touching them yeah that's not really a weapon that's more like armor (laughs) but that's a third weapon because the axe and the gloves were a part of a duo Uh, so i know that you deep dived a little bit more on on things for this movie Mm -hmm. than me was there any significance to the otis there was a couple of proposals one I understand it was a part of one of the taglines, only the innocent survive. Oh, shit. Right? But from what I understand is that Bill Paxton didn't use it for those reasons. He said one was he wanted to have that to have a, a significance later on in the film, too. Like it was an heirloom passed down. So that way it makes the story a little bit more believable when you see it in the 1979 telling and then the present tense. But there was another story, too, that I heard that Bill Paxton ran into it and like a homeless guy, and they just, you know, had a friendly encounter, and I guess got to chatting up a little bit, and the guy's name was Otis. Oh, okay. So I've heard a couple of different variations. Which ones are true, I'm not sure, but those See, are the three that I know. What I wrote down was like, oh, an axe is a tool. Otis tool. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, yeah. I like that one. That's a fourth one. I think that one's a little bit more up our alley. <laughs> I mean, still, though, I was like, oh, really? Oh, I even I, I started laughing like fucking that's pretty gloves awesome. and the axe and then he just comes home with a fuck I, I love the way he Look presents it too because he has it all wrapped up and yeah. shit like and then there's like and then it, he rolls it open maybe, and it's fucking pipe maybe like an eight to ten inch long pipe yeah I thought that was kind of laughable too like the tools I mean they were simple don't get me wrong but I was thinking weapons like I wanted to see some swords and some daggers but yeah None right right at the None fucking Davian Goliath. I was like, okay, so he has to be the other brother. That's the only thing that makes sense for this narrative right now, because otherwise there's no fucking payoff. Yeah. there's no tension building yet. It's literally them just telling you a story. However, like I said, the story was dark enough that it's still intriguing. 
Yeah. Like, oh, and yeah. like, I didn't feel cheated by that, but I did feel kind of bad that I was like, oh, well, shit. What I didn't remember and did catch me by surprise was the second twist at the very end of him being the sheriff. Yeah, that's a big twist. Because the lady that's involved at the sheriff's office, she gives him an alibi at the very beginning. He's like, oh, yeah, he was in here earlier acting all crazy and stole an ambulance, which is noted at the beginning of the film. Like, what is this ambulance doing here? This whole film is a big setup to two big revelations at the end. That's why I say there's subtleties throughout the film that you, we really don't catch until maybe a second or third viewing. The one thing, too, I was noticing is like at the very beginning where Powers Booth's character goes and Wesley Doyle goes into his office and there's Matthew McConaughey and, you know, he's like, I guess, introducing himself mm-hmm. and they don't ever touch hands. He just, he has that picture of his mom and he's like, you know, looking at it, he's like, this is a picture of your mom. He's like, well, how long you been in here? He's like, long enough to see all your little trinkets or whatever. So they never, you know, initially handshake touch. So that's kind of off and then later on they have an exchange where he's going into the cop car, mm-hmm. you know, I guess going out to the Rose Garden. As he's helping him in, he's like, I got it. He doesn't let him touch him going into the car. So there's little subtleties. Like, why is he... But, you, I mean, it's something you have to kind of anticipate. You don't really catch it at first. So some interesting stuff. One of the things that I was thinking when I was watching this was it got me curious as to how much liking this movie when I was younger and watched it those few times that I did how much it primed me possibly for some of these other movies that we've done. Because as I was watching this about these brothers sort of becoming killers and dealing with these secrets and this weird family dynamic, I was like, oh, well, is this movie why I like Found? It could be, you know. I think having those bits of nostalgia, the way that they have a story told in, you know, the present time, but then you have these flashbacks to, an, you know, in their case, like in, in the late 70s, told from a kid's perspective of their dad, which looks apparently like he might be unraveling. And there's always this bits of nostalgia because, you know, people are sentimental. We're all sentimental creatures to an extent. And then if you have siblings, and then that's a, another attachment too. I think there's just a lot of familiarity maybe in those films, especially this one where you can kind of latch on to something. Oh, I mentioned it before. The one effects heavy sequence of this movie, mm-hmm. I actually really, really fucking dug when Paxton had the vision while working on the car. Know, yeah. There's a couple of things that are really, really cool about that, too. I mean, like, yeah, he's working up underneath the car, and then all of a sudden, the whole landscape changes. The whole, His the vision whole changes. undercarriage turns warps into a cathedral right with an angel descending and it's kind of a neat little warp in my opinion because it yeah hopefully you know what an undercarriage of a car looks like if you've ever been underneath one yeah for sure and that all just sort of goes into these patterns and it's suddenly all symmetrical and the roof vaults up and you have this fucking angel coming down he looks mostly cg with the really badly i know somebody played the angel technically he definitely did yeah but i know what you mean but how much he played because of the obvious CG being used, I couldn't tell you. But. Yeah. There's some subtle humor, like dark humor. Looked like some of it. I guess it wasn't total on CG, but something on was going on. Maybe rotoscoping. Uh, I think so. I think they had him sitting down in like a green room doing motions or whatnot. But the thing I like about that scene, too, is as he's coming out from underneath the carriage, the car that you see it is like it's just a Mercury. But I was like, I wonder why they, if they use that for any specific reason, like a Mercury car. I didn't hear anything about it, but when I looked up Mercury, like the Roman god, 
And some of the attributes he's like he's associated with commerce, but some of the other things are like messages and being uh, communicative, especially mm. during divination. Oh, okay. I was like, huh, that's interesting that he was up underneath a mercury and saw an angel come down to give him divine news. So what I thought was interesting was how easily this could have went a much, much different direction considering his original vision. Have uh, the trophy? Happened on what looked like maybe a bowling trophy? Yeah. And I was like, damn, was that like a... Like, the stereotype that around that time period... <laughs> The stereotype for around that time period would have been a bowling trophy. So we have to assume that that's probably what it was. Yeah, that would make sense. For a dad mechanic um, in Texas bowling. Yeah, why not? Yeah. So what if it would have just inspired him to become the best bowler he could be? I, yeah, he's like, I'm what if God was actually games. trying to tell him, hey, you're going to hit quite a few perfect games in your lifetime with my help, buddy? You just have to keep these hands nice by putting your, these gloves on. <laughs> that could have been the story for Kingpin. <laughs> they play the cards right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, what could have been? That's kind of funny, man. Like, it still kind of blows my mind a little bit with the gloves being a part of the tools. But some of the things I do like about the interactions with the demons is leading up to it, how they capture them or how the dad abducts them and stuff like that. One of the ones I did like, which is, you know, it's not very realistic in a sense, is them waiting in the parking lot for that older guy coming out of the old discount store. Oh, right. They use Fenton as the bait underneath the car looking for the dog. Whack him out. And every time the dad has a vision, you're not sure whether or not the little kid is agreeing just to agree with the dad or if he's really seeing it. And well, the other kid for sure is like, this ain't happening. Well, especially because he already came up with his own list to try to kill his fucking classmate. Yeah. <laughs> You see Fenton kind of like looking at that too, and it's like you know, a little bit of monkey see, monkey do here. You know, it's like, look what you're doing to Adam. Mm-hmm. So you get that. You don't. I like how you're uncertain through a lot of those exchanges. There's even an interesting power shift between Matthew McConaughey's character, Fenton, in the beginning and the FBI agent, right? When they're in the car, is where he starts to give him direction towards that Rose Garden. And even he notes that there's something off about it. He's like, there's something you're not telling me. Like I said, that's kind of where that twist comes into play. And the twist is really interesting, too, is how the kid has to dig that fucking ditch. And the whole time, he's just resentful. He's just spiteful. Tells <laughs> dad, there is no God. He's like, fuck, I am praying. Okay, so talking about, once again, setting me up for possibly liking another movie later on. Yeah. His imprisonment later on in that ditch leading to presumably a false vision right but still leading to that euphoria and that vision and he claims he saw fucking i guess it wouldn't have been him but in his right. recounting in the re- yeah in the he claims that he saw something martyrs yeah i mean it's a divine intervention of sorts you a see, divine yeah. message through suffering yeah good point i like how it's told down there too like he has that little black opaque scene where he's just kind of falling oh into, yeah you know i liked that too you can kind of feel like that or just like a falling head yeah <laughs> there were some really cool shots one thing i do want to mention is i told you a little bit that the cinematographer for this film butler he had to use some practical effects and he said mm-hmm. one of them was the whole scene of mcconaughey and powers booth in the car like you know that's a huge scene of them having that exchange and 
some of the shots being used. But what he did is they just isolated a car in, you know, in a studio room, and they had this rig of all these lights set up, and they even created the grate between mm-hmm. the front seat and back seat. So a lot of it was just the way that they used lighting in and out, and even the rain. There's a scene where there's a fade-in to another sequence of going into the 70s where uh, I guess you see the, the side shot of Powers Booth telling a story, and then as it's fading out, it goes into the uh, driver's side window. Okay. And you get the raindrops going sideways. He said what they were trying to do when they first filmed it was using fans. So he always got this downward pattern, so it didn't look mm-hmm. the way he wanted it. So they had to bring in these like these jet blowers to get that effect, he said. But the only reason why he wanted that is to give that effect of that TV pixelation going in and then oh, watching okay. TV. The thing I thought was cool is like all of that stuff was just them like having outside influence of like these guys using wooden planks to kind of make movements. And I was telling you like this guy was holding flashlights to make it look like a car was behind them moving in and out. And even the windshield wipers and stuff were just all kind of rigged up. So that scene was like they did a good job. I mean, not that there was much thought given into like what they were doing, but just knowing how they did that was really cool. Now, I want to say this is a movie that I wouldn't mind eventually seeing rebooted. It could be. I thought there was a lot of neat ideas in this that they could have expounded upon, even just more visually, mm-hmm. that maybe would even be easier to do with both today's effects and maybe just today's climate. Like, you could go violent with it, for one thing, and include more blood and gore, which you could contrast with... I thought it was really neat, the fact that most of the victims were being buried in the Rose Garden. Yeah. Roses, famous for being red, like blood. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of neat things visually that they could have done with falling rose petals contrasted against blood and like the fact that these roses are essentially some of the roots theoretically would be going into the decomposing bodies and being fed from them which you know wouldn't necessarily affect the roses in any way but just as sort of like this neat it's like almost poetic in a way yeah yeah, that their blood being used to then fuel these blood red plants yeah. and, a, a and very, the blood of christ and yeah exactly a very in this sense it could be gothic it could be religious poetry because as it was we never even really we just kept getting told it was a rose garden but i don't know if they even showed a fucking rose the writer said that uh, he wanted a rose garden you know written in because there's a huge rose garden in tyler texas and they wanted to film some of it in tyler texas but a mm-hmm. lot of this film most of it was shot in california and so they had to write more of a fictional place. And they use a place in Pasadena for that scene. But you're right, you don't really see a lot of roses. I mean, it's just a quick shot. I think it was intentionally done that way. You know, at the beginning, the kids kind of walking through the garden, going to their house. And then after the dad and them start burying bodies there, it's like, that's it. And then later on, it just becomes dilapidated, you know, mm-hmm. towards the end of the film. But you're right, it could have been a play on that, like more of a significance. I think it could be a really cool retelling and you could even, I mean, you could do neat, some neat things with, like, seeing the demons and shit these days. And yeah. Especially because that's another mindfuck to the ending, the fact that, I probably already said this, but it's kind of a mindfuck that it... You he, actually do see what the dad and Adam, Matthew McConaughey, would we find out later, is Adam, not Fenton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he saw everything that his dad was seeing. They were seeing the demon sins, what they were guilty of. And as Bill Paxson... As the dad is touching those demons, yeah, you get to see exactly what happens. And then we find out that Agent Doyle is a demon, killed his mom. That's why he kept bringing up his mom. 
and how he killed his mom. That was one of those things you were talking about, the rigging, I think, mm-hmm. with the blood effects squirting on the sheets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's... That's an, I mean, it's just a practical effect, too. Mm-hmm. He was just stabbing his mom. Thinking this movie came out, what, November 7th? November 17th. November 17th. One is the official premiere, but it didn't So come out it would have been wrapped in production quite a bit before that. So... I almost wonder if we would have gotten a little bit more darker tone, even in just like the filters used and stuff, so that maybe it didn't look like as much of a television show at times. Yeah. If this would have been a true post 9-11 movie. That's interesting because during that time period when it was released was right after 9-11, never forget day, for a lot of different reasons. But they were saying that, you know, at that time, I think the film got a little unnoticed because it was already a morbid time in, you know, United States history. And this is a very morbid tell on top of all this stuff. So were audiences ready for a film like this? I think this was one that it's really worth revisiting, whether it's told, you know, from that perspective, that time period. Or like you said, we could revamp it, maybe tell it in a miniseries or an anthology telling. And another way you could go with it now post shit happening in the real world is i mean a big part of it involved the idea of laying on of hands which normally is you know uh i mean i grew up catholics laying on of hands is like part of the things for becoming a priest and shit like it's it's symbolic for for passing on like teaching power basically but there was also a lot of laying on of hands imagery in this and, you know, like we said, they fucking protected their hands and shit. So post-clergy scandal <laughs> oh, dang, and the yeah. fact that you're dealing with two children, you could go another kind of dark with this movie oh, and a reboot. Dots on them. You could go a very dark, very <laughs> uncomfortable way yeah, with could. a reboot of this movie as well. <laughs> no, that's, that's why it's interesting is that you get these different perspectives. You get these children's perspective, like so these adults' perspectives. You could work all kinds of different angles with this telling because it, how do you know it's not just affecting one person? You know, this family is affecting probably a lot of people all over. We just only get to see this one side of it. So that could be another take on it. It's like there's groups of demon slayers. Uh, I mean, Paxton hints at it. He says that like us and others like us yeah. when referring to the powers that they've just been given. So you could have groups of people, whether it's in the community or statewide, worldwide, what have you. It's a whole playground to work with. I do want to point out one other thing, though, where I was just like, well, fuck, it's the other brother. Not, the, you know, uh, McConaughey's the other brother. <laughs> yeah, he's not the um, other brother. Two hands, not three. <laughs> All right. Only two of them were given powers. That sort of tips it off, I think. Yeah, two out of three. That's mm-hmm. right. I mean... And so if Dad can do it... There's, I mean... you know for sure the one brother can't. That was a big revelation, too, is the fact that the dad learns that Fenton is a demon. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we've already talked about spoilers, but if you're this far in, that was the big reveal, too, is the fact that Adam got his brother finally on the list because his brother's been serial killing, keeping trophies. He finally whacks his brother, and then Doyle's the last one on his list, the seventh. Well, shit, and he mentions the fact that God commanded him to kill him, like, Abraham... Yeah, Abraham and Isaac. And so it was, Isaac, it was the but, prodigal son. and But the father was more merciful. Yeah. Abraham, who was, in fact, about to kill Isaac. And, yeah. And, you and know, God stops him and all that. But Because he was willing to. Yeah, so sure. dad not killing him sets dad up for being killed in the end. Because 
if your hand offends, cut it off. Yeah. Ooh, look at that, dropping some fucking Bible knowledge. Got so. him. Yeah, dude. There is that, is <laughs> that whole point where the dad's like, he tells Finn that they're going to prove the angel wrong. And that doesn't happen. But he even hints at the fact that, you know, if, if you tell anybody, somebody has to die. I mean, that comes out when the sheriff comes over and gets whacked <laughs> in the cellar. There's a lot of things I do like without getting too much in depth with it. It's just the whole telling, the twists, the use of the kids. Not the older kid, Matt O'Leary. They even mentioned it. It was like without some of his performances, some of the things that he, he does. He did a great job. Man, now, overall, so I'd say we've actually at this point covered a lot of movies with some good kid actors. Yeah, I'd still say that these weren't the top of what we've covered no, in the past. But they're not the bottom. But they're not the bottom not by even any close. stretch. No, of course, Jeremy Sumter, the kid that played Adam, he was much younger than Matt O'Leary, you know, mm-hmm. going into this film. So some of the stuff that he did, it was even cute listening to him say like they asked him what his favorite scene was in the film. And I know that's a broad question to ask, but if I were to ask, would you have guessed that him saying that, him singing that, the joy, 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 down Down. in my heart. Where? Yeah, where? Down in my heart. Where? He said that was his favorite scene, like, in the entire film. I guess for him reading the script, it would make total sense. He's like, I I didn't get any of this stuff. He's like, I didn't know anything was going on. (laughs) That's awesome. I mentioned it before. I will never forget the weird awkward way that bill paxton swings the axe on the first victim because he sort of pulls it back (laughs) yeah and stops there for a second and starts to move really jerkily for a second and like holds up for half a second before completing his swing and that's not the way anybody in real life would ever swing an axe yeah but it sort of shows him even debating it then on whether to do it he was still a little unsure but he had to go through with it regardless Mm -hmm. His little variances, too, I think it was the part of the reason that he really wanted to direct this film, too, and, you know, not only be the dad in this film, but there were certain things that he had in mind for that character, and there was also things he had in mind on how to direct the scenes and whatnot, but it is great cast. Like I said, it's not a very big cast, but everybody does a great job. I mean, it's not a shitty cast by any stretch at all, not even close. I have one more idea for, like, what you could do with, like, a reboot. Yeah. What if Fenton did see God? Yeah. And he had a power, too. The other two are the hands. He's the eyes of God. It could be. That would be and interesting. And they all three team up. That would be interesting, man. Like, so what you could do with that, yeah. See, this is what I like. When I like a movie, it makes me think about all the things you could do with it. It's weird because it sounds like I'm trying to just make it better or make it my own or something. No, but... It, but it's because these movies are good enough to make me even continue thinking about it. Consider even some of these ideas, yeah. Like a movie I don't like... It's out of my brain. Things like yeah. this, like, it just continues going. Like, God, like, there's so many cool th- ideas contained within this story. Yeah, well, like, think about the time period, like I said, it came out. It came out in 2001, 2002 theatrically, right? We're talking about it 16, 15, 16 years later. Mm-hmm. And still some of the ideas that you could work with, I mean, it has a lot of staying power. Well, and I mean, the religious idea, especially right now. Oh, it's so significant. The rise of yeah. the religious right politically and everything there's a lot of different ways you could play it with that i mean we've already sort of seen that in red state red state i mean a little bit too and found (laughs) with a little bit too and those racial tones and stuff yeah jesus there's so many neat things you could do still with this story you certainly could and with just minor tweaks it would still be this story yeah and this says a lot to everybody who was involved right and i thought it was interesting and cool because it makes sense that you would want to use people that you're not only familiar with but maybe people that you're even 
in this sense, they're all from Texas, most of these people who worked on the film, you know, and they have an idea of that area, some of those influences, some of the tells they could tell interweave in it. Like I said, having the fact that they're in Texas and, you know, it just so happens to be based on this religious revelation. Well, I, wonder, and I think it's, it's really... Easy. You mentioned the thing about Tyler, Texas earlier. Yeah. And it made me think of a band I've always dug, The Toadies, mm -hmm. also from Texas, song named Tyler, kind of a creepy song. <laughs> Their most famous song, of course, being Possum Kingdom, about a serial killer. Nice. And they've attributed it to the fact that they felt growing up in Texas is that there's a ghost story or a weird serial killer story. Every town has at least one, and it seems sometimes it's like it's just another state. one around, you know, every other fucking rock. Like, yeah. depending on where you're at, there's either a weird ghost story or weird, like, we had this killer do this, or, yeah. like, this was weird and going on and people fucking disappeared and nobody knows why. He said it, it seemed to be all over the state, so a lot of their songs focus on that. And... I mean, that's another thing that would be very easy to weave into this, especially since, in the end, there is a supernatural aspect. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, and I really like that, too. It's, you know, whether or not you want to believe in all that stuff, that's another thing. But just the fact that they use that, and not only use that, but they use it in a way where it's not delusional. You know, like, this is what happens, or at least is what we still think might be happening. Mm -hmm. It's beautifully told. Great job to the writers and to Bill Paxton for directing this for his debut. Fucking nailed it, man. I agree. Go watch this movie if you haven't. I don't have much else to say about it, though. No. Like, so I think we covered most of what the gist of this film was about. You know, and some good moments, too. That's McConaughey. Go watch McConaughey. Yeah, see some of his, his early drama, too. Yeah. I think um, during that time period, he was still kind of known for doing comedies. I think you're probably right on that. So what else do we got? Should we announce what we're doing next week? Yeah, at least what we have in mind. Maybe we should, because it's a fucking long movie, to be honest. Oh, it is. So get yourselves prepared. For the shinning. The I mean, shinning. Shining. Shining. <laughs> Red rum. This one's going to be exciting. We're not going to drop all the details on this yet. Not quite yet, because we'd be spoiling a lot There's of things. There's something very special, but be prepared to watch. Maybe, you know what? Don't watch this movie beforehand, unless you've never seen it before. Yeah. But we'll give you a reason to watch this movie at least one more time next week. Yes. Yeah, so... How about that? Is that enough foreshadowing? I think that's enough. Yeah, we shouldn't okay. give too much away. It's a really cool, interesting way of doing an episode. Before we hit 50 and feel like old men on this fucking podcasting game. Even going into 50, we got some interesting some stuff we're doing. Yeah. That we're going to have a lot of fun with. But in order to hear us get to that and to next week and future endeavors infinity and beyond <laughs> yeah honestly you should subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud stitcher, stitcher. tuned in google play right. basically wherever you get your fucking podcasts you can, you can listen us. to us and we would very much appreciate if you also hit that subscribe button and just kept it coming yeah because we'll keep pumping those episodes out we have a twitter at fried squirms we do. you can twitter us anytime you want we have an instagram uh, it's Fried Squirms podcast. podcast, right? We got our uh, Facebook page. Yeah, just search for Fried Squirms. I mean, we're there. Yeah, we're there. So you can find us there. We did mention our website, <coughs> www.friedsquirms.com. Danny e just put something up on there we mentioned earlier. I'm going to try to write something myself here soon. I've got, being the nerdier of us and the fact that I've already done a couple yeah. little columns started off on there, probably going to expand very soon on my non-horror 
column <laughs> nice. and sort of sum up some of the nerdy events from this year because we got dropped a lot of oh, fucking yeah. movies that i mean i wrote that logan thing up but oh, really cool. then a lot of shit happened and we got just a ton of movies between then and now and i would Gosh. love to actually talk about them with all of you but yeah. i'm not going to do it on here i'm going to no, do it yeah. on there check <laughs> out yeah some of the upcoming blogs i'll probably be doing a little bit of maybe some top lists i think that might be an interesting thing to do toward I mean, the we end are of the year. coming to the end of the year so. yeah so maybe give some of our takes on whether it's from this year or just in general be a cool interesting list to compile i think but yeah we got some cool stuff lined up so we love you yeah well i mean we did mention that you can still contact us through email too. oh shit yeah, yeah. squirmcast at gmail yep um i think that's it i think that's all yeah but i enjoy this episode i'll look forward to more me too especially now that i don't have to hold my fucking mic dude this setup is a boss i just gotta remember to like not do as much movement as i usually do yeah, i've we, been doing the fucking axel rose all we, over no, the place no, tonight. do our stevie wonder fried scrums out out